0: You, Wendy. Thanks.
1: I think um, what I like about East, most about Easter is um, being assured that God's plan for our salvation has been fulfilled in Jesus' death and resurrection. Can you help me Anna? Okay. Okay. So we've got two Bible readings this morning. First one. Are you going to tell? What book? Okay. Um, John, chapter 20, on page 1092. One. And then? Yeah. One, uh, um, one Corinthians. Oh, I didn't like page. Oh, try again. Try again. <laughs> try again. Okay. One for heads Chapter 13. 15. 15. 15. Sorry, Mum. On page 1156. Okay. Can you hold that for me? Yeah, can, I? can I tell you No. That was your turn. Okay. So, John, Chapter 20, reading from verse 1 to 20, no, to, mm, where are we going to? 99. Jasper, one, two, 23, yes, okay. <laughs> now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the tomb had been taken away, the stone had been taken away from the tomb but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead then the disciples went back to their homes but mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she weep, as she wept she stooped and looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of jesus had lain one at the head and one at the feet they said to her woman Tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I've not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, He showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, "'Peace be with you. "'As the Father has sent me, even so so I am sending you.' And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, "'Receive the Holy Spirit. "'If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven.'" If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now we'll flip over to 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the Church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed." Now. whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied.
0: Uh, Good morning, Uh, let me add my welcome uh, to you this morning, it's great uh, for us to be together. Uh, How about I pray as we get into it, Heavenly Father what an astounding day Uh, we're here to remember and celebrate and Father I pray that whether we're near or far the things of Jesus and this certain hope that he offers, we pray Father that you might take all distractions away from us, that we might see a fresh what it is we remember this day and celebrate, praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Christ is risen. Well, there we go. Christ is risen. Ah, there we go. People are awake. I've already put you asleep in my prayer. He is risen indeed. Uh, We are here to remember and reflect on that extraordinary news uh, that Christ is risen. Good Friday, Christ died for our sins in our place three days later, risen to life, so that we now can know the certain hope of eternal life. But what do we make of such an astonishing, astounding event in history uh, today? Well, a few years ago, uh, there was um, Sydney hosted... I don't know, you might be familiar. A, I should have an image of it come up. Sydney hosted a, uh, the Festival of Dangerous Ideas. Does anyone remember this? Uh, where, you know, at the Opera House... And there was a Q&A, Q&A live panel, you know, the host with Tony Jones. And there's all these intellectuals. And they were talking about what are the most dangerous ideas that they think will shock and change the future of the world. Uh, on that panel was uh, the author, Peter Hitchens. Now, his older brother is Christopher Hitchens. Who you may have heard of who's a, a very outspoken, famous atheist. Uh, and so was Peter, until he actually uh, became a Christian, Uh, and here's what he said about the most dangerous idea in the world. He says, The most dangerous idea in human history and philosophy remains the belief that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and rose from the dead. That is the most dangerous idea you will ever encounter. Now, you know, Tony had been going around all the, the panel and he, he kind of went, hang on, taking a bit back, can you just explain why that's the most dangerous idea? And he goes on to say this, Peter says this. He says, it's the most dangerous in history because it alters all of human behaviour and all our responsibilities. It turns the universe from meaningless chaos into a design place in which, just and, with justice and hope. And therefore, we all have the duty to discover the nature of that justice and work towards that hope. It alters us all. I wonder if you agree with Peter there. Uh, he, Peter was kind of just echoing uh, someone who had said something very similar many years before uh, the C.S. Lewis Uh, He's a British writer, literary scholar. You know, he wrote the Narnia series. Love it. My kids love it. Uh, He became, he was a reluctant uh, convert to Christianity. He really didn't want to become a Christian. Uh, But it was when he was convinced that Jesus was who he said he was, that he wrote these words. He says, uh, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance importance the only thing it cannot be is moderately important see the only thing christianity cannot be is something that you can just sit on the fence about something that you just don't make your mind up about see christianity rests or falls on the rising of jesus in history it's that important it's that dangerous And the Bible is so clear that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, we should all go home. (laughs) We're wasting each other's time. We should walk out of here. Uh, We should just eat, drink and be merry because life is meaningless. If it wasn't true, it would rob Christianity and all of life of all its credibility and meaning and hope. Uh, It would turn Jesus into just a lovely mythical character like Santa. But if it is true... If he did rise, and I'm convinced he is, that's why I'm here, I hope that's why you're here, uh, it means that he's the key to meaning, hope, and purpose in this life and the next. Now, what I want to do is just reflect this morning on this radical, important, dangerous idea of the resurrection. Uh, and we're going to do that in looking through the, past, the second passage reading in 1 Corinthians. Now, to give you a little context... 1 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul uh, to a church in Corinth, which is just modern day, in Greece, about 2,000 years ago. And we are kind of picked it up at the end of the letter, uh, where he kind of wrote a letter to them and he wants to urge them to keep trusting in Jesus. And he wants to remind them of the fundamentals, uh, the, the good news of the gospel. And so here's what he does. He reminds them of the most important thing, I have a look at sentence number one there. And he says, this is the news you must know. Sentence number one. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. See, he's saying here's the, the thing that's the most important thing of first importance And it's the good news of the gospel. Uh, The the gospel just means good news. Uh, And he says, this is a message that will get you from here into eternity. Can I ask you, what is some good news you've received lately? Have you had some good news the last couple of months? Um, You know, is your footy team going all right? Have you gotten to lose those few kilos that you've wanted to? Uh, Did you get the job? Is the tumour benign? Did you get the pregnancy that you'd been hoping for? Friends, Paul wants to say here is the most fundamental, crucial good news that for everyone, for all people, it's the good news of the gospel. What is the gospel? He tells us: firstly, the gospel is that Christ died for our sins. Sentence number three there. He says, "For I have delivered to you first importance what I also received." Paul didn't make it up; it came from Jesus Himself. That is that Christ died for our sins. This is the good news, the message of the gospel. Christ died for our sins. Now, those five words will change your life if you understand what they mean. See, if I were to ask you to try to explain it to someone sitting next to you, can you explain what that means? I wonder if you'd be able to. I don't want you to. I mean, we could do that, but don't don't worry. But... I, I I reckon if you can't explain what it means, it's probably because you don't understand it. You don't understand how significant it is. So what does it mean? Well, Christ died for our sins. It uh, kind of unpacks a very simple logic of the Bible. The logic of the Bible is that the wages of death is sin. So what that means is I die because I sin. You die. We all die because we all sin. And that is that death is not just a a kind of a choice for us, it's an inevitable reality for us. See, it's not like death is just a a medical condition, you know, that you you die from old age or it was brought on by cancer or heart failure. No, actually, death is a judgment of God brought on all humanity because of sin. But the good news... And why the phrase is so precious to us is because of that connection between my sin and my death has changed. Did you notice that Christ didn't die for his sin? Nor do I die for my sin, but Christ died for our sin. See, this, this is the great exchange that happened at the cross on Good Friday. This is why it's so good. But see, The surprisingly good news of the gospel is that it's not what you do for God, but it's what Christ has done for you. Religion, it loves to talk about what you do for God. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is what Christ has done for you in the Lord Jesus. He has absorbed the sting of death in his death. We are no longer in sin and we can have real hope for now and for eternity. That's the first point he reminds us of. The second thing he wants us to remind us of is that Jesus really did die for our sins, but secondly, that he was buried. Uh, now, this is important because some people, uh, many years later, kind of claim that Jesus didn't actually die um, when, when he was on the cross. Uh, and so, you know, people um, have, have raised that when he was died, he actually didn't, you know, die. Maybe he was just uh, in a bit of a coma or his heart. Kind of didn't work, um, but the point is that no, he was really dead on the cross, and that he was really buried. We don't normally bury people who are alive, do we? It's not the kind of the thing we do. See, Jesus died; he was really buried. But then, why are we here today? Because he was rose again. That's the third point of the gospel that we must know: that he was raised on the third day. It's why we're here. See, Jesus was raised. Again, with a body, a resurrected body, never to die again. See, other people had been raised uh, by Jesus and in in the Bible, but Jesus' body was a resurrection body, not a resuscitation. Uh, He was raised to life to never to die again. See, for the first time in history, in the history of the world, with Jesus' resurrection, death lost. Death lost. Our greatest enemy. See, doesn't death mock, humiliate everyone from every walk of life? It just minimizes any of our achievements. It cuts off our precious relationships. It washes away our lives into insignificance when we're gone. See, up until this point in history, there's pretty much death had pretty much had a hundred percent success rate. Till that first Easter on that third day when Jesus rose and burst out of the tomb. See, this is the hope of every Christian. We get resurrected bodies like Jesus without suffering, without sickness, without pain, uh, without hurt, and ultimately no death. Friends, but how can we be sure about this good news of the gospel? You know, uh, if you go and buy a house, you know, you putting a lot of money down or a unit, you go so lots of effort to check you're not getting a dud, don't you? You get the conveyances, you get the pests in buildings, you don't want termites, you don't want it to fall over. Uh, it's the same for eternity. Paul, God wants us to know that we can have confidence we're not getting a dud, a dud. Because Paul knows, right, that dead people normally stay dead. You know, it's not just a 21st century thing. That's what normally happens. Pe- pe- dead people stay dead and he kind of stacks up the evidence for us so that we would know that what he's talking about here is not just wishful thinking. This leads me to the second point on my outline, uh, the, the historical eyewitness accounts. Now, there's two things I want to notice. It's firstly that he, keeps, he says twice that all this was in accordance with Scripture. Um, you know, so Jesus, verse 3, death is in accordance with Scripture and his resurrection is in accordance with Scripture. That is, both are operating Perfectly according to the plan of God. Uh, in the scriptures, he's referring to kind of the, the Bible, the, the, on the seats uh, that you hear, um, the first two-thirds of the Bible is actually written before Jesus, uh, and where that's where God revealed himself to a particular nation, uh, and there's about 1,300 years of promises that a son would come, and that pointing forward to the one who would bring salvation life, hope to the world. And that he's pointing towards that Easter event. See, when Jesus rocks up in history, uh, it's not like there's just a vacuum and then he just kind of pops on the scene. It's like, hang on, who's this guy? No, there's been years and years of promises about Jesus coming and it's fulfilled in his coming. See, the Bible is not like any other religious text, right? Uh, It's not just kind of dependent on one dude who had you know, put some glasses on and sat in the bush and had a bit of an experience or goes and sits in a cave and has an experience uh, by themselves. Now, the Bible was written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors, three different languages, but it tells the one unified story. How? Because there's one God behind it. Now, I find this very compelling. I find this very compelling because the scriptures predicted Jesus' death and his resurrection would happen. And so my doubts about dead people not rising, it kind of it, it lays it to where. Going, okay, if there is a God, then it's entirely possible. Uh, but he gives us more evidence. So I want us to notice that he says, notice how many times he appears to people there. If the burial of Jesus was to prove his death, the appearance of Jesus was to prove he's alive. In, in verses 5 to 8, Uh, He he appears to many. Have a look, verse 5. Then he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at the same time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, to one untimely born. He appeared also to me. See, it's, it's really important that we get this, Right? Because lots of people say to me, you know, Andy, I wish I had your faith. And I'm kind of like, what do you mean? What do you mean? See, when Christians talk about faith, we don't talk about kind of blind faith. No, we're talking about faith based on evidence, faith based in history. And so we have the scriptures foretelling what has happened in history, but now we get the scriptures telling us about how many times Jesus appeared to many people in various places. So firstly, verse 5, you've got, he appeared to Peter and the disciples, the 12 apostles. I mean, it's not like they would get together and make this up, is it? You know, initially when they meet him, they just, they freak out. They don't really want to know. They're like, what is going on here? Uh, and what happens to them is they get killed for what they speak about Jesus' resurrection. Well, I, don't, I mean, not many of us want to die for something we think is false or we've made up and you don't really want to give your life for something that's not important verse 6 he appears to more than 500 people at the same time how many are in here maybe 80 we know with all the kids and stuff you know that's five to six times the amount of people here got to see touch hear jesus at the one time it's hard enough getting a couple of people to say the same thing isn't it here he's got 500 people who are saying, Jesus is alive. He's appeared to them, saying, most of them are still alive. You know, go and chat with them. Go and ask them. What did they see? Really? Was Jesus really alive? Verify the claim. Then we get the appearance to James, right? Verse 7, that's Jesus' half-brother. Now, he was Jesus' younger brother. uh, And we know from John 7 that he kind of thought Jesus was going loony. He thought he's going mad because when he was alive, he was claiming to be God. And so the family are kind of like, man, this Jesus guy I don't know about him. You know, until James, he changes his mind. What happened? Well, the risen Lord Jesus appeared in front of him. Personally, he got to meet him. The man he saw, his brother he saw die, now alive. It changed his whole way he thought about his brother. Uh, Lastly, we get Paul. Now, Paul, he was, you know, he's like an enemy. So we've kind of got the, his. Close disciples, we've got crowds that Jesus appeared to, he's got his family in James. Now we get Paul, kind of his, his outright enemy. Uh, he was formerly known as Saul, and he went around persecuting Christians. I mean, he hated Christians for what they said about Jesus and what it meant for him being alive. But what changed Saul to Paul to go on to write a bunch of the New Testament and to follow Jesus? Jesus. What's that? That he met the risen Lord Jesus. He appeared before him. See, for me, it takes more faith to believe that it didn't happen than to believe maybe all this evidence is stacking up because there is a giant hole of the resurrection in history. See, this is why it's such a dangerous event in history because you can hear about it foretold and fulfilled. You can hear about all the eyewitness accounts of who met the risen Lord Jesus. Can I say, if you're here and you know, you're ambivalent to whether he rose from the dead or not, check it out. Check it out. There's a mountain of evidence. Uh, Because if it is false, I'm wasting my time. We're all wasting our time. But if it is true, it changes everything and everything hangs on it. It just cannot be something that's moderately important or significant. Uh, This brings me to my last point. Why is the resurrection so important? Well, there's many reasons, and I just want to pick out two. Firstly, it's so significant because it proves to us that Jesus is able to save us. See, it proves to us that Jesus' death on Good Friday worked. When God raised his son to life, it was like a public vindication. His death is not in vain, so that all of us today can be confident when we trust in Jesus that we don't need to be afraid of death. We don't need to sit in the consequences of our guilt, shame and failure. We can know that we have no case to answer before God and we can have real hope of eternal life. Secondly, Jesus' resurrection guarantees our resurrection. And he kind of spells this out in in verses, in sentence numbers 12 to 19. Now, the Corinthians, they had no doubt that Jesus had risen from the dead because they'd kind of saw the evidence, they'd met him. Uh, their issue or their thinking was that they wouldn't rise from the dead. And they, I think they just started to think that this life was all there is. Their world was just like either here and now is all there is. Um, but central and critical to the Christian faith is that death is not the end. It's that we too, if you believe in Jesus, will be raised to resurrected life with him. Bodily to a new creation. Now the author Paul kind of argues that life without the resurrection is meaningless; it's futile. Uh, and it, he he kind of says, "Hang on, if you believe that you know Jesus was raised, but where we don't get raised, you need to check your logic." And he and he kind of spells out the outcome of their thinking in verses twelve to nineteen. See what does it mean? Well, he says, "Sentence verse ten." Have a look at there. He says, "If." Uh, Christ has not been raised, then our faith stands on nothing. See, our resurrection, the argument's a bit, uh, you know, it goes a bit in, but he's saying our resurrection and Jesus' resurrection go hand in hand. They're together. You can't have one without the other. You can't have Christ and not us. You can't have us and not Christ. Secondly, he says that if there's no resurrection, our preaching is in vain. Our faith, our our trust is in vain. And not only that, verse 15, we're misrepresenting God. Verse 17, if Christ has not been reigned, what's the point? What's the point? If we're, you know, whoop you do if you get to be forgiven, but we're just going to perish. Who, who cares? We're still in our sins. Verse 18, he says, if the resurrection is not true, it means that death still wins. Those who have died have perished without hope. Sin still reigns. Says there's no use following Jesus. Finally, in sentence 19, he says if Christianity only gives us hope in this life, then we're the people to be most pitied of all. See, the entire Christian hope stands or falls on the resurrection of Jesus. If our hope, says Paul, is just in this life, let's go home. There's no point, it's useless. Why bother following Jesus and loving others? But if it is the fact that Jesus has been raised, the gospel brings certain real hope in the face of death. See, the real test to any kind of worldview or philosophy is to, I think, what it says to people at the gravesite, doesn't it? And here is where Christianity pierces through all the other whitewash and mess that the world offers us. It's here where Christianity stands alone. And I this this is a key reason why I am standing here and a Christian, because of that hope that Christianity gives. Uh, When I was, uh, my mum, she had breast cancer, she was diagnosed with breast cancer just as she um, was pregnant with her fourth child Uh, and uh, she lost the battle. She was 36 years old, uh, left her husband and uh, four of us alone. I was nine years old when she died. Um, my mum knew the resurrection hope and confidence that you can have in the face of death. Uh, dad has told me that they used to talk and she used to say, if God doesn't heal me, I just want to go home to be with him. I've had enough. I've had enough of this, the pain and suffering I don't want to go where there is no more. See, mum had faith, had confidence in the face of death. She knew the hope that Jesus offered to all of us and she had that resurrection hope. Christians, we grieve at death, rightly so, but we don't do it without hope. We know that Jesus takes us to the place with no more suffering, no more pain, and most importantly, no more death. The hope of the resurrection is so important that Jesus rose from the dead. Easter Sunday is the most important thing. And the resurrection, it turns the universe from meaningless chaos into hope, meaning, purpose, and life. And friends, I've been overwhelmed by the evidence of it, and I pray that you too will check it out and be overwhelmed and that you might know this hope that Jesus wants you to have and believe and trust in. Come to believe in the risen Lord Jesus. Don't sit on the fence. Make up your mind. Christ is risen and so will we be if we trust in him. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful for this hope that does just cut through all the insignificant things that fill up our mind. And Father, we thank you so much that the Lord Jesus did truly die, that he was buried, and that he was raised to life on the third day. Thank you that we can have confidence because of the evidence, because of you promised it, and because he appeared to many people. Father, we pray that we might know, trust, and love the hope of resurrection, and that it might bring us true meaning here and into the future. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.